Welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, a place where we ask big questions of small things as we gather around the table with makers, thinkers, and doers. So grab your favorite drink, pull up a chair, and join us. And now, here are your hosts, Caben Kramer and Chris Quant. And welcome. Uh, this is Kevin coming to you. If you've been following our social media online and on Instagram at Tenderly Rooted, then you will know that this week has been a crazy week for Chris and his family. The river fire started just a few miles from their house and uh, was very threatening for quite a while. So they were actually evacuated. We weren't quite sure what was going to happen. Luckily, they are able to be back in their house now, but because of all the chaos, it's just me doing this intro. And, you know, fire, fires are just crazy, wild things, literally. Ha, ah, man, there's just so many emotions involved in them. And we don't really know what the future holds, right? I mean, winds can turn, other things can happen, and geez louise, this world we're living in seems to be getting crazier by the day. Uh, but I am excited for this conversation that you're about to listen to. Uh, I actually recorded it back in March, so it's been a little while with a wonderful, wonderful woman. Uh, her name is Christine Rollings, and she does not live in the United States and hasn't for a while, and that's a key part of the conversation is what is it like living abroad, and particularly in the place where she is living, which I will let her introduce in the episode. But she's also an Enneagram coach, and she is involved in some entrepreneurial startups. Um, back in March, she was more involved in a coffee business that her and her husband are starting. My wife and I actually buy their coffee. We think it's delicious, and I encourage you also to get In Common Coffee, I-N, In Common Coffee. It's fantastic. Um, they roast it in their country, import it here to California, and then ship it to the U.S., so I encourage you to get their coffee if you like coffee. It's fantastic stuff, um, but They've also now started an Airbnb business, which is really cool with like this cool geodesic dome thing. Anyway, it's rad, super cool. You can check it out online. If you follow at Christine.Rollings, um, you can see everything she's doing there. Um, but she's also an Enneagram coach and she is a mother. And so we just talk about what does it mean to be the people we are and how does that impact the lives that we live and where we live and and are we impacting geography or is in geography impacting us? And we just kind of get into some really cool life stuff, exploring the Enneagram and parenting and um, our unique living situations. So this is just a really fun conversation. I'm glad you're here for it. Um, I'm so glad that Chris and his family is safe this week. And um, with that, I'm just going to let Christine take it away here in the conversation. Christine. I am so excited to have you on the show today. This has been a conversation that I've been looking forward to for over a year now, and we finally made it work. So welcome. You did. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk with you. And one of the challenges that we had in getting this to work is that you actually aren't in the US. So give us a picture because we're all just listening uh, to you right now. So give us a picture of where you are. I live in Antalya, Turkey. And so we live in a little apartment complex within a neighborhood that's filled with lots of other apartment complexes. And we've actually got a building coming up for construction next door. So you might hear some of that on the audio as they get started <laughs> for the day. Um, so right now it's my morning, Kevin, it's your evening. 
and mm-hmm. um, the time difference makes it so hard to connect with family yeah. and friends, you know, even this past year. Uh, we're like a few kilometers from the Mediterranean Sea. We have a view of the mountains. And so we live mm-hmm. in a climate that we don't have snow, but we get excited when you can see the snow on the mountaintops. And that's just okay. the nice. Okay, so you have yeah. like big mountains close. We have big mountains close. Yeah. And we that's something that we did a lot during lockdown is we would just drive to the mountains and just drive around to see something bigger than us. So one of one of the bragging points that I always have about living in California is that I'm like, I'm two hours from the beach and I'm two hours from ski slopes, right? Yes. But yes. it sounds like you actually like top that even more. So like you said you're a few kilometers from the beach. Yeah. And then how long does it take to you to get to the snow? To get to the snow, the fastest way would be 45 minutes to the base of a gondola. And then you take up the gondola and then they have it set up there so you can play in the snow. And then I think it's a couple hours to go skiing. So still, though, if you guys theoretically, Mm -hmm. you could wake up in the morning, go have breakfast on the beach, drive up to the mountain, play in the snow in the afternoon, come home for dinner and like not have a stressed out day at all. Like that's totally within the realm of possibility. That would be like a perfect Saturday. Why is your city not a more popular tourist destination? Like that sounds so perfect right now. So here's the thing actually, is that it is just not from the United States. Okay. Okay. So we get Mostly about like Russian and European. So Russian and German are the two biggest. Okay. And then we get, on average, I think it's something like 10 million tourists every summer. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot of people. So I we had no idea either. And and so what, what's the typical population when it's like not in tourist season, like the residents? I'm so tempted to Google it and just check. But I think it's something <laughs> like 10 or 11 million. So we double in the summer. But that's still a huge city. It's a really big city. It's not the like high rise city. So that's something that is interesting about it too, is that it's very spread out and it's, there's not big high rises, which means that more people get views of the sea. And it's very much Mm -hmm. about that. Like most people here too, it's like, we live near the sea and we love this. Like when we moved here, Mm. our, our realtor I remember when we were looking for an apartment, our realtor was like, mm, let's meet at 10 because I got to go swimming in the morning. <laughs> so it was like, we love this place. This is so great. I love everything about that. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and and so now again, you're, you know, you're there and, and you're a mom and you've got this coffee business that you're doing. But like, if I were there, it'd be really hard to not go to the beach every day. Oh my gosh. Is that like, is that a real struggle or am I just romanticizing that reality? I mean, we've been here for two and a half years and that's still a real struggle for me. (laughs) I mean, I think the mom piece is a little more like, okay, got to pack up the kid, got to like make sure she doesn't eat the rocks at the beach because our beach that's closest (laughs) is like little pebbles as opposed to sand. But I'm so looking forward to, I mean, we're, we go to the beach probably about once a week at this point, but once it hits summer. Oh man, mm. <laughs> I'm going to be there a mm. lot. Yeah, well, and I and again, this is just me guessing with being so close to the, both the sea and the mountains that like this the winter that you're experiencing probably is still pretty mild. 
Oh my gosh. I'm from Connecticut and my husband grew up in okay. Alberta, Alberta, Canada. And so <laughs> this is like glorious for us. It's really mild. It will maybe, I mean, winter would be like, it would get down to like the forties. Like it doesn't snow in the okay. city itself. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then summers up into, does it ever break like a hundred or 40 oh, degrees yeah. Celsius or? Okay. Ooh, yeah. So it gets hot. Okay. It gets hot. And But it do evenings really cool down with the coastal breeze? No. Nope. Interesting. Okay. So something nope. about the wind patterns on the Mediterranean don't help you out. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And that's oh, the thing. That's okay. when you know that fall is coming. When you're like, oh, it just dropped a few degrees in the evening. I can finally breathe. That's when you're like, oh, wow. yes, fall is coming. Okay. Mm, okay. I'm learning so much. That's interesting <laughs> to me. That's good. Okay. Okay. So you guys have been there for two and a half years. And yes. obviously you don't know the future. I don't know the future. Is this the kind of thing where okay. you're like, you know, we've already have tickets back and this is like a limited, you know, mm. limited run series. Or is this like, we, we could be here for a long time. The latter. We could be here for a long time. Okay. Yeah, definitely. We do That's not have awesome. tickets back. We do like check-ins with each other. Like, how you doing? How mm-hmm. you doing? We good here? We good here? Yeah, we're good here. So I think the hardest thing at this point is the language barrier. Mm. That drains me. You know, we've talked about if we are going to move somewhere else next, we would want to move to an English-speaking country. We don't want to have to learn another okay. language. But right. I think the the benefits outweigh the struggle and the struggle is one that we can move forward in and are consistently yeah. moving forward in. Take us on a little bit of a journey about how you ended up in that city and you said mm-hmm. learn another language. Does that mean that you've already done this before? Just what does that journey yeah. look like? Yeah. So we um, actually, when I dated my husband, we were, he was living in Manila, Philippines. And so we, dated long distance for two years, um, had met while we were in the States before he left. Um, so did the whole, yeah, online Skype calls, hmm. dating situation. Like I, we would go, we would both go to a Starbucks and sit down and like dress up and make it this whole date. So <laughs> I knew sweet. when I <laughs> had fun with, we, we tried to have fun with it. Um, so I knew when I married him that we were going to, you know, he was living, he was working in the, in the Manila, Philippines. So we were going to be mm. there together. Um, and we were there for about two years. Um, he had already learned Tagalog and I was in language school for about a year there. Um, we opened a small coffee tasting bar in the business mm. district of Manila and about maybe four to six months into opening that we had been living there together for about two years and um, we were watching the news and it was right after Trump got elected and the rhetoric coming out of the news in the States was um, he was talking about the refugee bans. He was talking about, it was toxic. It was toxic. And we had also just come out of, a consulting project in other parts of the Middle East, um, Hmm. in the Emirates for a coffee company. And so we're watching the news and hearing this, you know, people from this region are like this, are like this, are like this. And we're like, okay, we're coming from just visiting a country within this region that is nothing like you just described. Nothing at all. 
And there's this moment, so we have a tiny apartment. <laughs> My husband's sitting on his computer watching the TV. I'm doing dishes, it's the evening. And he just says, do you think we have a responsibility with what we know and what we can do to go tell a different story? Mm, I and I just question. immediately knew in my gut, yes, mm. yes, mm. yes, we're going to do it. Mm. That That's amazing because it's amazing. And also like, there's a little bit of part of me that's like trying to like hide underneath the proverbial covers right now, because I specifically when, you know, they, there was the hysteria about the, the immigrant mob or whatever yeah. of people moving towards the border and there was all this rhetoric and things were happening down along the border. I remember asking my wife, um, at what point do we get in the car and drive down mm. there to be a presence and a voice? Like that was, that was our conversation. Yeah. And, and as farmers, you know, anyway, whatever, whatever excuse you want to apply to that, we didn't do it. But hearing yeah, that yeah, you guys yeah. asked that same question and then actually did it is yeah. amazing. And that's incredible. And you know what came in, to be completely honest, like I resonate with your question too. And I think the more I become aware of all the stuff happening in our country, like that's something I feel like I wrestle with daily too. Like, okay, we mm. moved out here to do this, mm. but why not? Why not the Mexican border? Why not right. some other city? Why, why? And I have to like constantly go back to, I can only do one thing. I'm an Enneagram too. So I'm like, help all the people. Mm -hmm. Yep. I can only, yeah, I can only do one thing. And this is where we are now. Mm. And let me do whatever I can to the best of my ability in that place and learn and not shut off from, you know, I'm in Turkey and I'm wrestling with the racism in my own heart, white supremacy, mm -hmm. immigrant, mm -hmm. like all the stuff happening in our own country, that, that toxicness. Mm -hmm. And so I, what does that look like for me to do here a little bit removed from it, from it because I'm not mm -hmm. living in the United States, but I feel like that's still really important. And I, I wrestled with that a lot this past year thinking like feeling like my head my heart like I'm in America right now like in my head in my mm, heart is right. that okay and then just coming back to like our our coffee company is called in common coffee and the goal saying the goal being to create a space where people can come and realize what they have in common rather than focus mm. on the things that drive us apart and if I can't mm. do that or have that mentality in my own culture in my own heart, mm -hmm. then I can't do it here. Then I can't see, like I won't be able to see or understand or fully experience the racism that happens here in Turkey mm -hmm. if I'm mm -hmm. not also wrestling with it from my own experience, my own upbringing, my own heart, from my own culture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and for us here on the farm, of course, our wrestle localizes primarily around undocumented immigrants and farm yeah. labor and issues like that. So that's like a really specific conversation that we're wow. having, you know, between us and around us. And so in your context also, then there's some like really unique things, right? Like yeah. you don't live in America, you live in a very different culture and, and yet all of these things are still challenging. Right. And so for me, I went to high school in Kenya, so I've had to revisit, okay, what was it like as a teenage white boy 
growing up in Kenya and just realizing like all of the stuff I I that I was walking into without being aware that I was walking into it, right? Because it was just yeah. it was just quote unquote normal life. I didn't right. I as a, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old teenager, I wasn't asking these deeper existential questions and no one around me was inviting me to ask those questions, right? So there's right. like so I've gone through that process, you know, with like, okay, my religious upbringing and how did that inculcate and provide ground for racist thought and structures? Yeah. But you're in a you're in a very unique place. So what yeah. does that look like then for you there? Ooh, the like contemplating this piece. This, yeah, or you know like engaging with in, engaging with mm. the work of racial awareness, white supremacy, yeah. anti-racist work. Is that even a conversation in your country? Is that a very personal conversation for you because you are an American? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely, I think it starts on the personal level, obviously. <laughs> I think that's been part of the national conversation this year. So definitely starts on a personal level. And I think for me, that looks like, um, I know earlier this year, I just, I joined a few Facebook groups Mm -hmm. um, be the bridge being one of them, mm -hmm. um, yeah. to get resources and how can I learn more? How can I be listening to different voices? Um, and there are a few of, a few of us in this expat community in our city who are doing the same thing. And so that feels mm. really encouraging Americans That's beautiful. who are yeah. working through this, this year. Um, I know <laughs> one of my friends, she even said the other day, like, this conversation has been happening for so long. Where, where have I been? I, like I need to be involved mm. and learn more and soak in all that I can. For me, you know, with my time in Kenya, realizing, you know, cause I, in college, when people would try to bring up racism stuff, like I said some really offensive things in college to people, right? Because I didn't realize that they were offensive, but they were just incredibly offensive. Like I remember yeah, at one point yeah. telling someone like, I'm more African than you because I've lived there. Like, oh, oh man, like cringe, right? But this wow. was like, this, this was, this was my story at the time, right? Yeah, definitely. So, so for me, it was, you know, and, and there was this belief, well, since I'm not the majority in this part of the world, then certainly I can't be perpetuating these majority structures. But in yeah. reflection, it's like, no, actually, like if I look at the way everyone bent around me, right? If I look at the wow. way that I allowances were made, permissions were given that were just, why, yeah. why did they like, why was that okay? Like, right. and there's just these moments that stand out. Like, you know, I, I had a little 250 CC motorcycle and my five friends had them too. So the six of us, we just take off and chase giraffe across the savannas and sleep under the stars. I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing adventure experience. Yeah. But I remember times where, we would realize that we were on people's private land. And like, mm. could you imagine if we weren't a dominant supremacist race, what might've happened to us? And yet my memory of those experiences was, were that people were incredibly accommodating and forgiving. And, you know, I attribute it to their kindness and their generosity. And I attribute it to all these different things. Right. And it wasn't, you know, until way into my adult life that I was like, oh, no, that's because of the racial supremacist structures that existed from colonialism, where they didn't even feel like they could stand up for their own personal property. When a group of white teenagers show up on motorcycles and start acting like idiots. 
right? So like this, oh, anyway, so th- th- that's, oh. that's where I was asking the question from as far as yes. like your, your context as an expat and, and different things. But anyway. Right. Yeah, oh, on. no, that's true. No, no, no. That's, that's true. I thought you meant like, like our Turks dealing with racism, which I'm sure like, of right. course, of course. Yes. Um, oh, in that aspect though. Yeah. I feel like that makes me so much more aware of like how, so, okay. Tur- the Turks that I've talked to would identify as white. Most Turks that I talked to, that I have talked to would identify as white. Most tourists are from Europe, not from America. But I still feel there is a sense of privilege with my passport. Mm. And even, I mean, gosh, that shows up with lockdown. So it came out that, okay, here are the rules and procedures for curfews and weekend lockdowns. And yet, if I show my American passport, any foreign passport, if I show a foreign passport, mm. it's, oh, okay, okay, okay. That's fine. You can go. Wow. Like, like they'll, they'll let you go onto the beach or they'll let you go into the grocery store or whatever if you show your passport. Not the, not the grocery store. Okay. Yeah. So exactly. So the reason then, because like, and, and we've had friends who have like gone into the police, like, what do you want? For, like, we will so happily, you know, honor these lockdowns but they're like no 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 like it's a matter of like can they like fines like can they follow up with you do you have an id number like all that kind of stuff and so and and huge tourism they don't want to shut down yeah like they need that industry and so they don't want to yeah to shut down the tourist industry so yeah so we got stopped once on the beach um, Aaliyah was outside out of, out of hours. Kids have certain hours. Um, hmm. and my husband's mask wasn't fully on. So they stopped us. And when, when we, he could tell from our ex or my husband spoke Turkish to him, but he could tell by his accent that we were foreigners. And so then he's like, oh, okay, just, just next time know that, you know, these are the rules or whatever, hmm. but it just, yeah. so I think it's created the sense of like, on the one hand, I want to stay in then I want to honor, like, I don't want to. <laughs> Like if my neighbors can't go out, why am I going to go out? But then right before it was a couple weekends ago, it was going to be a really nice weekend. And mm-hmm. um, my husband, Trent was at work and the, the staff at common were like, what are you, what are you guys going to go do this weekend? And Trent was like, mm. we're going to stay inside. And they're like, why you don't have to go. Like they were so encouraging of that. And it was just an interesting perspective twist because here we're thinking yeah. like we're honoring you by staying in and they're like, you're ridiculous. Right. Go out. So, so your Turkish staff were telling you take advantage of the system that's rigged for you because exactly. at least then someone's enjoying the good weather. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Well, hopefully we're not going to be in this for much longer. I mean, I, I don't know. What it's, so we, we actually just got our second dose of Moderna. Uh, this week so we're like oh we're on gosh. the path out and we you know we did that because our daughters I mean you compromise and other things yes but, um it what's the situation like there is it still pretty restricted is it low access to doses um, is anyone getting vaccinated yeah there? yeah so they started the vaccine for medical professionals and people over 70 and so okay. I think that's where they still are I haven't heard of anyone our age getting the vaccine and in fact, just learned now, like how I can log online and figure out when I qualify and like when we're able nice. to, so that I can do that this week. Um, they've 
split turkey into different zones. So low, medium, high, very high. And then each of those four categories has a different set of restrictions. Okay. So we're in the high category. So then we, they just lifted last weekend our Saturday curfew. So now we can go out mm. on Saturdays, but we cannot go out on Sundays. And the whole wow. country okay. is, the whole country, everybody is in a 9 p.m. curfew every day. So if wow. you're out, wow. get pulled over. Wow. Asked okay. to be so stopped. Yeah, taking it a lot more seriously than we are over here. So yeah. That's <laughs> well, a good thing. I feel and like California has been thing. I know, I hope so too. Um yeah. I know, I know you're the one interviewing, but I, I have a question. <laughs> yeah. Shoot, go for <laughs> it. Um you were talking about your time in Kenya and unpacking yeah. all of that. And I wonder yeah. as you wrestle with your own story what you do with the tension between kind of uncovering these layers that you didn't know were, were there or true or, or see at the time mm. and all these really good and beautiful memories of yeah going and sleeping under the stars and chasing giraffes. Totally. It's beautiful. Like, what do you yeah. do with that? Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. Um, I think right now I'm in a place where I just say both exist on my plate. Mm. Um, I don't understand the chemistry of how those things mix, mm -hmm. but I just understand that they exist. And for a long time, it felt really dualistic. Like, well, one has to be true and the other has to be mm -hmm. false. Mm -hmm. Or one has to be a more important weight than the other one. Mm. And, and, and for a long time, I used to say, man, I wish that my kids could have the teenage experience I had, right? Because, yeah. Yeah. again, my unexamined memories were just so idyllic in so many ways. Um, you know, I'm still very much in the middle of it. Um, I feel like there's still just a lot that needs to happen um, internally and externally. Like, I feel like language is still being created on how to navigate and understand some of these things. And um, so, they, so they, they're both there. They're both very real. Like, I mean, I honestly, I had like, yeah, the two were, well, I mean, it was, it was more years than that, but there were two years in particular when I had my motorcycle that were really hmm. like, I mean, it's, it's kind of the envy of every boyhood story. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it really was. I mean, we just, oh man, I, we just spend all night telling stories about these incredible experiences that are, are really just the kind of stuff you'd see in movies. And, and now all of that is in this backdrop of like, so many systems of white supremacy had to be in place for us to have access to that. Wow. And like, right now I'm just in a place where I just have to say, okay, okay. I acknowledge the coexisting reality of a teenage boy having what I perceive to be a very, really innocent experience in the midst of a really toxic system that I didn't examine at the time and no one in my life was examining. Right. right like, right, right. I don't know what you want to do with that, but like I had lots of uh, voices of authority and wisdom and maturity in my life who could have examined that and did wow. not for whatever reason. <sighs> so that doesn't take it off of me, but I was also still a child. Right. right? Absolutely. And so then it's like, yeah. okay, so, so now just just these things just exist. 
And then, of course, moving into college and even into adulthood, um, you know, in, in the, the church work that we've done in our adulthood, like now, now it's not that I had authority figures over me. Now it's like, oh, I had access to those resources and mm. I wasn't examining it. Right. Okay. So now that exists. Yeah. Okay. So it's like for so many me, layers. It's, just, it's very like, yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I very much still like, feel like I'm very much in the middle of the mess and, you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've been whatever you want to use a social media jargon. We've been doing the work right since the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. Um, and, and really for, for me that started, um, before that, um, but I, for me, Trayvon Martin's murder was really kind of the Mm. first thing that was like, oh, there's something fundamentally broken with the system that I benefit from. And that (sighs) led that. So then I started, but it was, it was all in private, right? Like, I was reading books, but I wouldn't really talk about what I was reading with people. It was it was just very personal. And again, I didn't have be, something about the national conversation has given such an open door to language yeah. of like, oh, I can now use that language yeah. Yeah. without having to explain every word of that sentence because now it's just in the air enough yes. that we can understand it. So really, you know, with with the murder of George Floyd in May of last year. Um, you know, kicked a lot of that off and a lot of that reexamination. But all of that happened in the context of our story. Mm. Uh, we we got kicked out of ministry at the end of 2017. Um, not for anything we did. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's a whole messy thing. Yeah. So that led us on a spiral of like, what do we even believe? Yeah. What is this whole Christianity thing? We thought it was... Anyway, so we were Ooh. in this process of like, incredible existential crisis right and then you like throw in the lockdown where then we are cut off from a lot of like conversation partners who might have kept us in a certain way of thinking so then all of our thoughts were still there but now they're able to like the beacons were going farther out let's put it that way right we didn't stay within the pasture of like (laughs) kosher thoughts right we didn't we didn't we were just like here's what's in our brain and now yes. there now it can echo all the way out to the other side of the universe and come back to us. Um, and so then you layer that in on top of everything hap- that happened with George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and everything else. And it's just been this last year of just a lot of like very open-ended exploration of of reality and meaning and purpose. And um now what do we do with that for the next 40 years? Yeah. Um, and I'm yeah. I'm certainly not even really entertaining answers to that right now because I'm like, I am just like still in the soup, right? We haven't we haven't soup. gotten to anything else yet. But anyway, that's that's yeah. Yeah. The long answer to your short well, question. Well, I, I feel like um I just listened to a podcast. Have you listened to The Bible for Normal People? I have not. Okay, I just got turned on to this podcast. Um, okay. And in the second episode, they interview Father Richard Rohr, and uh-huh. he talks about um, the three boxes, order, disorder, reorder. And mm-hmm. he talks about how, like a lot of, for a lot of us growing up in conservative churches, you were taught to stay in the order box. This is what you right. need to think. Like, let us help you know what to think and believe. And here it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he says he's like it's a lot so true. of... Right. I mean, I was like, uh huh, uh huh. A lot of, um, he said his words, a lot of liberal progressives will stay in the disorder box. And that's that idea of deconstruction and kind of identifying as being in that, in that season. And he's like, but we need to have forward movement thinking 
of going back, of going to reorder and thinking of it in a yeah. different way. Um, and that I feel that language has really helped me also feel hopeful, like, okay, I'm in the middle of the mess. I'm in the middle of this mm -hmm. disorder and mm -hmm. it doesn't have to stay here. And it's not a matter of going back to order. And I think that's the thing that right. feels helpful for me. Like we're coming yes. to resolution with all of this race, faith, all of it doesn't mean going yeah. back to order. There's a third box. Right. Yes, absolutely. Ha have you read his book, Falling Upward? I have not read it. I'm an, I'm a listener. <laughs> so well, that, that's fine. Oh, I, I actually wait, listened to what? it too. Yeah. Oh, I, I oh, I mean like, listen, I didn't listen to the book. I listened to like him speaking about the stuff. Podcast. So I'll hear him like yes. mention it or whatever, but yeah, I yes. haven't actually read it. 10 of what 10 do, would recommend like that it? book. That, okay. Yeah. It was actually list. the first, it was the first book I read when we were kicked out of ministry. When I felt like oh, kind of the shackles oh. came off and I said, the world is open to me now. I can now consider yes. perspectives from this great multitude of wisdom. That was actually the first book. There were there were actually there were three books. That was one of them. Um, and it's amazing because he talks about that, right? That that construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. And he talks about how like that transitional period is he talks about what it means for our spiritual maturity. He goes into a lot of detail Ooh. on like, here's why this is actually important for you to come into your spiritual fullness. Mm. And, and he makes it clear that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make everyone happy, but it means you're going <laughs> right. to be spiritually full. Like it means that you are going to tap into whatever seed of dust that was put inside of you at the foundation of the world requires this process. And, and I guess for the sake of derailing the conversation a little bit further, he, he gives this really Do powerful it. image that stuck with me. Right. And he talks about how, you know, when a, when a soldier goes off to war, there are skills and ways of thinking and moving in the world that are critical to that soldier surviving in wherever they're fighting the war to protect mm -hmm. their country, their homeland, whatever it is. But then when they come yeah. back to their homeland, those very same skills of survival that were so useful on the battlefield now actually are in direct interference with reintegration as a citizen. And that actually to enjoy the benefits of the country, the soldier has spent time defending that soldier actually has to let go of everything they were in order to receive the benefits of being a citizen. Oh, so that's wow. the image that he uses to describe the process that goes from like, order to disorder and it was an incredibly incredibly powerful it's obviously it has stuck with me um because it's 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 a grounding rod for me now of like yes. okay like thank you for that skill that kept me alive there yes but now that skill is actually preventing me from stepping into the goodness of the life that's in front of me now yes yes um, yes and that's in this in this yeah particular podcast episode too that's what he was saying your season in the order box served you you needed that mm -hmm. and i think that that helped i um i recently read through i don't know if you had live journal back in the day it was Way like an online blogging site yeah. okay yeah, yeah you did <laughs> i've had to explain it to a few people I have some younger friends. And so yeah. <laughs> this is live journal. Um, 
but I was going through things that I wrote then. And then I listened to this podcast in the midst of that. And I was like, so thankful because it was a lot of like, you know, going through some serious hard things and I'm reading the words that I'm writing and it's like, but God is good. And, you know, it's okay. And I'm like, I'm not sitting in grief. I'm just like brushing it with this spiritual brush to like move past it. And then, you know, to hear Richard Rohr say, that served you. You needed that for that season. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is a perfect segue into like, there's two more pieces that I really want to get to with you. Okay, let's go. I hope I'm like, let's do it. You're so good. So we're talking about Richard Rohr, talking about like things that serve us well is a perfect transition to the Enneagram. Let's do it. you are also an Enneagram coach. You've helped write a couple of books on the Enneagram. Yeah. So start us back at the beginning because I'm always interested in your people's story, mostly because I'm really mystified kind of by my own story around it. But so what was your story (laughs) into the Enneagram? Yeah, sure. So I heard about the Enneagram for the first time when we were living in the Philippines. Wait, back up a sec. When I was going through my life journal, I found this quiz. Do you remember how you would do the quizzes? Like, what animal are you? Or what food condiment are you? Whatever. The The the, one was pre-BuzzFeed. The pre-BuzzFeed quizzes. The one I found (laughs) in 2004, 2003 was, what number are you? And so I look and I tested as the number two. And then I'm like, oh. is this any, what? And I clicked the link and it was like, each question had nine possibilities. And it was just, it was, it was Enneagram. It was exactly the Enneagram. So wow. apparently I heard about the Enneagram 20 years ago, yeah. but I didn't know it was the Enneagram and I tested it as the same number. So I feel like a level of consistency within my, Oh, that's incredibly consistent. Wow. So, okay. um, so then the first time I heard about the Enneagram as termed the Enneagram was uh, when we were living in the Philippines and I had a few friends. I got messages from two or three different friends. Hey, you should test. You should take this test. I think you're this number. And so I take it. And Okay. Real quick. Did, was that like a total turnoff to you? Were you like, yes, don't tell me what I am. Or were you like, Oh, thank you for reading my, my, Crystal Globe. I can't wait to confirm your bias. <laughs> I can't wait to confirm your bias. That's amazing. <laughs> it was like I bet you can guess how I felt when people did that to me. Oh, I, yeah, exactly. I I think I was a little bit of both. I was a little bit of like also this kind of like mm, let's see how well you know me. Let me see mm-hmm. and let me let me test. And some of them were right and some of them were wrong. I think the funny okay. thing was that most of my friends who did that, it was like a, I think you're my number. And Mm. so then seeing that, and then some of them I were, and some of them I wasn't. Um, And I, I I was, I came into it so skeptical. I was like, what is this thing? Like, I remember Googling like Enneagram, like looking out for it to be like, heretical like I wanted it to be heretical Mm -hmm. or like I don't know what word that's the first word that came to mind and I don't know why like I just had this initial like this is bad Hmm. and I talked to a really trusted friend and mentor at the time who herself had been a part of the new age movement in in um she's Filipina and so I brought it to her and she was like yeah we did that like I'm familiar of with that from new age. And so like, I wouldn't touch that. Like that's mm, hmm. no. Um, 
and so that kind of confirmed my bias like okay yeah right. i don't want anything to yeah. do with this um and then i don't and then i think it was another friend who i trusted who wrote and was like i really think you need to look into this so now i'm having that conflict right and as a two like I'm like, well, this friend says yeah. this and this friend says yes. So like now I guess I have to figure out what I think for myself and I can't just ride off of what my friends say. Mm. <laughs> so I, yes. I looked more into it and, um, but, and I don't remember how I got here, but the thing I remember that struck me the most was seeing that as my number as a two, I move toward eight in stress mm. and I read what that looks like. And what I felt at the time, I mean, looking back, I see that pretty much our time living in the Philippines for me was a season, that was a season of stress. And there was a certain mm. point while we were living there that I asked myself, it, like, I know that life experiences change you, but I feel like, I feel like I don't know who I am anymore. I feel like there's reactions mm. I give and things that I do that are just, I haven't seen this aspect of myself and I don't know quite what's going on here. I don't feel like myself. And then when I read about two is going to aid in stress, that was who I was becoming. And I saw that okay. and put being able to okay. put a name to it. I yeah. am living in a season of stress. This, this mm. experience hasn't changed the core of who I am. I'm still a two, but in a season of stress, I'm going to look this way. Right. Right. And so that felt so freeing for me. And I was that like, is, all right, yeah. I got it. I got to go into this more. I got to, I got to okay. learn more about this as I can. And then a few years later, um, my friend's sister-in-law who you interviewed last season, Elizabeth Bennett started her Instagram account, Enneagram Life. Yeah. And I love how she talked about the, talks about the Enneagram and I love the gospel centeredness that she mm -hmm. uses. And I think um, through her, I've been able to connect to other really gospel-centered um, Enneagram yeah. accounts. And I feel like that's helped me integrate it into my own life and faith journey yeah. and all of that. Right. So it was, um, I, <laughs> so then 2019 had just given birth to my daughter. And I mean, I think it was two weeks. I was two weeks postpartum and I, I'm wow. sitting on the chair in her room and I'm feeding her, rocking her to sleep or something. And I get this Facebook message from Elizabeth that's, hey, I, you know, am going to work on these books. I would love your help. Are you interested in writing with me? And I thought, man, like, what do I know about the Enneagram? Like, I, I learned from you. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I love to write. <laughs> and so like, I'm so mm. honored that you would ask me. Yes. Like I want in, I want yeah. in. And then a few months later i got another message hey i'm thinking about offering this coaching course and i would love for you to be involved so you can learn more about the enneagram as you write these books um yeah and again i remember i remember seeing my husband like no i don't want to do this nah it's i don't want to like whatever <laughs> like enneagram's cool but like whatever and then just i don't know i was like okay yeah i'll do it all right all right i'll do it so at least like every yeah. step along the way i was like oh, come on i don't really want to so I did it and that, I think that, and then the process of writing the books, just realizing like, this is such a powerful and beautiful tool yeah. that gives yeah. people language that they wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. And yeah. gives this sense of like, 
I mean, the thing I've noticed as I've done like workshops and coaching <clears throat> is that somehow it like externalizes things. And I noticed that for me too, like I can more easily say, this is true of me. Maybe it's this vulnerable thing that like, I don't particularly love, but I can say it because like, I don't know, somehow about that. Because the Enneagram told me so. The Enneagram told me so. But yeah, I think with that, it's it's a sense of like, and maybe this is a two thing, but for me, it's a sense of like, I'm not the only one. Like uh, I struggle with yeah. this. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of other people. There's a ninth of the yeah. population that struggles with this too. Yeah. Makes it yeah. feel like yeah. I can own it more. I yeah. don't know. Is that a two thing? Which itself is a beautiful indicator of the power of the Enneagram. Because for me, um, you know, I, I say I'm a type three and I'm still going to hold that a little bit loosely. And, um, yeah, but, but as a three, right. Like I, I have a repressed feeling center, right. So I'm closest, yeah. I I'm the center of the heart triad, but I'm also most disconnected from my emotions. Right. So yeah. I'm highly attuned to the emotional, like see around me. And then I also like dismiss it and push it away. Right. That's just like my yeah. MO. So as I was going into the Enneagram, the Enneagram gave me permission to name emotions without actually having to engage my emotions. Like I could say, ah. well, you know, people in the Enneagram like this tend to act this way. And really what I was saying to the world or whoever I was talking to was like, this is what I'm feeling and this is how I'm moving. But uh-huh. I didn't have the courage or the wherewithal yeah. or the capacity yep. to actually just do that straight up. Yes. So, so the Enneagram became this great you know, crutch or assistant or whatever you want to call it yeah. that helped me move into kind of emotional competency. Yeah. Um, Self-awareness. In the same way that it sounds like it was helping you be like, I'm not alone in the world. There's other people around me. Like we can do this together. Like, Which is so like what our types are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That. Okay. So are you a one or a three wing? I'm a three wing but I will say that I've seen a lot of my one wing come out recently but I'm definitely still a three wing yeah it's it's amazing how different seasons call different things out of us and that is one of the things I love about the Enneagrams it gives so much permission for that like there yes there's nothing like like you can like you say you're a three but it's not like it's not a like locked in thing. Like you have seasons yeah. of stress and seasons of growth and levels of health and unhealth and your wings. And yes. there's so much yeah. there. Oh my gosh. There's so much, there's like, there's, so there's your number, then there's your wing, then there's like your stress growth arrows, then there's your triad, then there's your stances, then there's your subtypes, then there's your levels of health. It was just like, <laughs> so, so on the one hand, it can be like so overwhelming <laughs> and so chaotic that it's like, oh my gosh, what am I even getting myself into if you've never started the Enneagram, yeah. right? If you're listening to this and you're like, right. I don't even know what this whole thing is. Like that just sounds like a cult, first of all. And second of all, it sounds like I need like a master's in psychology to get there, right? There's like, it sounds like there's some huge barriers. Um, that's true. And yet it's just one step at a time. And I think that's the journey that I keep hearing from people. And some people yes. come at it like, like, well, so really for you, you came out through the lens of like the arrows, right? Like seeing yeah. how yep. like your, your stress moved. That was like kind of the first aha gate into like, okay, I can lean into this as a tool. For me, it was the depth of motivation of just realizing that like, because I I mistyped myself for a long time. I thought that I was a seven because, you know, I traveled the world. I lived overseas. I'd done these other things, right? Um, And so I thought that I was a seven. Also, 
I was a little bit afraid of honesty, which also is typical three thing, but like I was a little bit afraid of being too real because I, I was swimming in a spiritual context where the three was called like the, the, um, the, the three was the performer. The three was the one who was ambitious Mm. and the spiritual Mm. environment I was in really looked down on ambitiousness as an unchristian quality. And so I was defending myself by moving myself around the Enneagram to other places where I could still be okay in that context. Right. Wow. So, so for me being able to unlock, like what is my core motivation and what is my core fear? My core motivation is success. My core fear is failure and rejection. Like when that was named, the very first thing I did was like, well, that's stupid. Who would, who would believe that they must be terrible, weak people. And then it was like, oh, literally, I'm trying to protect myself from like honesty. Like I'm, I'm, wow. I'm willing to like throw shade on my myself. own soul because <laughs> I'm afraid of admitting that it's true. But then it was in a conversation with someone else or a podcast, something I forget. And they were like, yeah, when, when you're reading through the motivations, the one that you like the least is probably the one that you are. That for me was the doorway <laughs> of like... The same way that the stress arrow was a doorway for you of like, okay, yep. like now I can lean into the Enneagram. Yes. And then I didn't even worry about numbers or triads or any of that till way later yeah. on. I just tried to center myself around like, okay, so if I start moving into this world, what does it mean, right? And then again, yeah, it can be weaponized or yes. it can like people can try to use it against you or you can use it like, or I could use it to like justify my own poor behaviors. Like there's just so there's many ways so that it can much. be misused. Yeah. Yeah, that it can be one of those things that's like, yeah, if we let it be a powerful tool, it can be a really powerful tool, but it requires a level of participation and self like participation that other things don't to the point where I now get a little bit annoyed when people like talk about like a personality test Mm, because for mm -hmm. me, I'm like, it's not a, it's not not a personality test. The Enneagram is a wisdom tradition. Oh, like think about it like that way. Think about it like when, when you step into a wisdom tradition, you are on a long path of learning and you recognize that it's both iterative and expansive and specific. Yes. And it's just this cyclical expanding sense of awareness and understanding and participation. All those things that happen. It's not like, oh, I took a test and it said I'm an ENTP. So that must be what I am. Like it's not a personality assessment. Right. So, and so that, that, and, and, you know, of course, Chris Hewitt's in his book, Sacred Enneagram was really helpful for me in thinking about it that way. Um, but that sense that like, okay, this is just a lifelong participatory tool in my repertoire of spiritual exploration and a sense of self and understanding and soulfulness. Um, and, and that gives me also a lot more freedom to be like, yeah, you know, I think this is what I am, but I don't know if I am. And I'm certainly not going to try to type you. And I'm certainly not going to try to like use any of this as an excuse for my behavior because I realize that I'm working through a lot of stuff right now. Yes. Um, so anyway, but yeah, it's, it's it can be tr- challenging. Yes. Yes to all of that. Exactly. Oh, there's so many thoughts to jump from that one. Well, there's a lot of people who fall in different places with the Enneagram too. And you see on Instagram, all the memes and, you know, well, you would like this. And I mean, I have to admit, like, I don't like them and I like them. Like, I love being like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a two and I definitely want a bubble bath to unwind. (laughs) Like, that's true. (laughs) That is definitely true. But I feel like, yeah, like there's a sacredness to it. Yeah. 
Well, and, and again, because I'm a, I'm a three wing four. Okay. I always want to be a little bit unique. Right. So I want to be the best, like I, I described as <laughs> like, be the best three that you like, are. Where, like where I sit on the Enneagram, it's like the Simone Biles. Like, I, do you know who Simone Biles yeah, is? Yeah. She, yeah. She's okay. Yeah. The, the gymnast who's like breaking yeah. records and just doing, so like, yeah. not only is she just the best gymnast as in she gets the highest scores, but she yeah. does it completing moves that no one else in the world can master. Right. So she's like, to yeah. me, she's the perfect three wing four, like has to be the best and has to be unique doing it. <laughs> like it's So, so you're some like, of those memes that I me. look at where it's like, right. Where it's like, yeah. you're a three, yeah. you love fancy clothes and nice cars. And I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. Screw you meme. I, I'm more unique than that. And it's, <laughs> you can't classify like me tension, into a right? meme. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Okay. So you've, you've been learning about the Enneagram in this context where you've been living overseas, you've been yeah. doing different things. And of course you've started this newsletter called the Enneagram for the expat, which I want to get into a little bit. Yeah. Um, but before we go there, as you've been doing this in the space that you occupy, is there like one or two things that you wish people talked more about the Enneagram that they don't, whether it's stances or triads or whatever it is, is there something where like, I feel like if people talked more about this, it would help a lot of people. Hmm. My initial reaction to that is <laughs> maybe they are. And, and I haven't tapped into those conversations yet. <laughs> <laughs> so <I> can, generous. <laughs> I like, maybe, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I can say this, that the stances for me has been like, I want to learn more about this. I, mm. um, so I know Elizabeth talked a little bit about the stances in some posts she made. I think it was a while ago, but every time I write about the stances, I like rewatch her video. Um, mm. Beth McCord has a video on stances and I just, I'm currently going through, I have two hours left of this eight hour seminar by Suzanne Stabile on grief and the Enneagram. And this is like, that, I mean, if anything, I'm like, we need to talk more about grief and the Enneagram yeah. can be our, I, this is the first time I've seen mm. that topic through the lens of the Enneagram. And mm. I'm getting so like, I'm watching her, you know, her webinar being like, yes, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to like talk about wow. this and talk about these things. And, um, you know, talk about like you go in and you just keep taking more steps further into learning about the Enneagram that the stances yeah. also have um, like each stance has a different orientation to time. So there's oh, okay. future, present, past, and that's how they process the world. And I don't understand that yet, hmm. but she's, she's kind of like, you know, Suzanne Stabile is like the godmother of yeah. the Enneagram. So she, she calls is. herself she really is. and yeah. oh my gosh, she's amazing, but she's just throwing out these words. And I'm like, wait, there's more to the stances. All right. Sign me up. Wow. Like bring yeah. me into this. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's one that I didn't realize how rich the, that triad was, like breaking it okay. up into stances. So I want to learn more about so that. Just, so just break it down real quick. What are the three stances? Yeah. The three stances are, so there is the aggressive stance, also known as the assertive stance. Some of them have that's different me. names. That's you. There's a withdrawn stance. Um, and there's the dutiful or compliant stance. That's me. So at the very basic level, the stance is how you basically approach others, approach relationships in order to get your needs met. So for me as a compliant stance, um, I'm 
I mean, and as a two, I'm going to step into relationship. Like, how can I help you? How can I kind of defer to you? Um, hmm. And then a withdrawn stance is going to retreat within to themselves. Like, oh, I have needs, hmm. but like, I'm going to meet those needs. I have control over those needs. Hmm. And your stance, would you like to explain? <laughs> well, <laughs> mostly that, that, that I... I uh, I seek the fulfillment of my needs by opposing the things that stand in my way, Oof. and I just want to like um, either either want to confront the people who are in the way or the ideas that are in the way or the wow. you know and so it's three seven and eight who are kind of that aggressive stance and and really I mean you can see it in all the stereotypical you know expressions of kind of the the most most I don't know um, character characterized views of those stances like yeah for me and and i've been called a bull in a china shop a lot like not as a way of humor like people just generally call that like there was a, a period in my life where one of the mentors in my life described me as like you know like when, when you put a balloon in a cardboard box and you just kind of keep filling up that balloon with air like what happens? It's like, oh, well, the balloon fills up the whole box. It's like, that's what you do to every room you walk into, right? So like, there's a oh. sense now, that that made something for me to work through too. But like, <laughs> there's that sense of like, that aggressive stance is like, I'm going to push for everything I can get yeah. and every opportunity I get as especially as a three with that aggressive stance, because, you know, I want success. I want to achieve goals. Yeah. So yeah. relationships tend to be transactional. Um, if a relationship is in the way of a goal, I will exchange the relationship for the goal, um, Mm -hmm. because you're standing in my way, which is obviously creating some marital things, right. That we've had to work through for the last decade. When we have a project we're trying to do on the house, like my wife is learning that like, there's some point where she just has to like, let go and just realize that I'm just going to like be a bull in a China shop till I get that thing done. And then I'm having to learn like, oh, I'm receding into my aggressive stance. Mm, I need okay. to disengage from like kind of this laser vision that takes over of like goal orientation. Yeah. I need to just disengage from that. And anyway, so there, there's lots of ways that the aggressive stance shows up for me, but that's, anyway, that, that's the aggressive stance. Da, yeah. Da, 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 da. Da. yeah. And then, and then, yeah. <coughs> yeah. So, okay. So stances are good. And, and I love what you're saying about grief too, because- I can see, especially in stances, how grief and the way that grief is processed and expressed mm-hmm. and communicated can be so different yeah. in different stances. Yeah. And yeah. in each especially number. Especially when you look at the numbers in the stance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's yeah. kind of where I am watching this <clears throat> teaching now is she's going through each number by stances and talking about what grief typically looks like. And I love, she mm-hmm. just kind of keeps going back to like, grief looks different for every person and we can't judge whether someone is grieving right or wrong like there's no yeah. right or wrong yeah way to grieve yeah. and i i really appreciated that yeah it's so true mm. okay so then you also have this newsletter yeah you're for the expat yes what where did that come from how is it going <laughs> where do you want it to go So where did it come from? So I, for a while, it was actually when I was taking this course with Elizabeth and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, are there resources? I remember asking Elizabeth, are there resources for, for expats, for people living abroad? You know, where can I find this? And she's like, I, I have nothing. Like, I don't, I don't know that that Mm -hmm. exists. And so thinking in the back of my head, oh, that's a, that's a good idea that somebody should do. 
that's a really good idea. And also, mind you, I mean, I have a, I have a four month old at this time and I'm like, there's no, mm. there's no way, there's no way. And, um, I have one friend who, um, really championed the idea and I was like, okay, but like, if you do it with me and she was like, I got, mm. I got a five month old, like, I don't have time for that. And I'm yeah. like, okay, dang it. No. Um, and so I remember it was just a couple of months before lockdown um, I had a friend who lives in my city. I didn't know her at the time. She sent me an Instagram message, like had never talked to her before. She mm. sends me an Instagram message that says, Hey, I see that your mom who likes coffee and the Enneagram. I, and you live in Antalya. Can I, can we hang out for coffee? And awesome. <laughs> I like, she's and it so wasn't an awesome. MLM. No, it Imagine that. <laughs> it was right? a real person. It was an actual person. So I was like, yeah, sure. And honestly, like, I mean, she came over to my house a week later and I made coffee and she was just like, Christine, I feel like these resources for the Enneagram would be such a big deal. Can you, hmm. can you do something? Please do something. And hmm. I mean, maybe it's the two in me, you know, like I need an external person right. motivator to like work toward. Yeah. Um, but what I ended up doing was um, there's another expat who was moving to our city who I knew was into graphic design. Um, and so I just sent her a message like, hey, if I do this, could you create graphics for me? Because this is not my skill set. Like I can do content, but graphics is not my thing. And so she's like, oh my gosh, I'm in. I'm so excited about this. Um, and so she is like, she and her husband have been to like seminars on the Enneagram too in the States. And so that mm. like having them be a part of it has been so helpful so that knowing that I wasn't going to do it alone in that sense um took that leap and stepped forward in creating resources and I've yeah. you know tried to make it this really like as much as I can handle it. but what it's what it's turned out to be is this like I'll get this idea for oh I want to do a create a resource on stances and then I just dive in and research and so it's kind of been that motivating mm. factor for me to to dig in deeper and deeper and deeper and so yeah. like you know like I said I'm watching this thing on grief and I'm like this has so many implications to the expat community I yeah. I this oh, is what yeah. I'm gonna dive into next and I just yeah. get really excited about it and then oh it was the institute so I created the newsletters in May and or last May and it was the the Instagram that I was dragging my feet on too. And then when I finally created that, that's been a really fun place because I feel like people engage and connect more on Instagram, yeah. like in real time. So that's been a fun, like just to post like, hey, I'm considering this topic, like what's your number and give me some feedback. And being able then to kind of include quotes from real people within the newsletter has been yeah. a lot of fun. So where do that I, is so cool. Where do I want it to go? Oh gosh. I this is so not three of me like this is not my three I feel like my three ring would be like let's go let's go let's go let's go, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm more like I'm like Pulitzer Prize is that on the horizon is are that you gonna, <laughs> what are you gonna do what are you gonna do um I mean I would love to keep creating resources for expats I the one thing that I started um the end of last year was I did a, a workshop with a team and they've since done one more and I've got one more coming up um we're getting a team together in the room and really just getting people to talk 
Hmm. And so it's a lot for me of holding space and asking questions, starting off with what's your number and what do you identify about your number and what do you not identify with about your number? Because I feel like that's true for people. Like everyone has that, like, I'm in this, but I don't know. And then getting them to speak that to their teammates and then getting the teammates to go, oh yeah, I see that for you in X, Y, and Z. Hmm. And then And then like I did this one where then we all broke up into dances. We all broke up into triads. We all broke up and then Mm. we talked and reported back. So like getting that to happen gets me really excited because I love Mm. the, like the team building and seeing this in real time. So that's something even more than like one-on-one coaching, that's something that gets me really excited. So I want to kind of see how, and I feel like that also helps me learn because I'm seeing then. Yeah you know, watching it play out with expats right. as they identify with their yeah. number. So I feel like, I mean, however this can be used in the future, but right now I feel like I'm in this very like exploratory learning, kind of synthesizing all the knowledge that I'm gaining stage. Very cool. Very cool. I love that. Okay. And I recognize that I've taken up a ton of your time. There is one more thing I want to ask you about. Do you have a few more minutes? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Awesome. So this is one of the things that I've been, so I'm just going to do a little bit of like background framework of kind of where this question is coming from. from yeah. So I spent, you know, part of my early adulthood and high school, you know, as an expat overseas. Yeah. And that was a big part of my identity for a long time. But now I am a farmer, right? And so now for the last mm. three years, we've been farming. And again, that overlaps perfectly with everything we've been talking about, about like exiting ministry and re-examining some long-held beliefs and all these other things, right? So this is all layered on top of farming. So for me, my spirituality is really coming alive in a way of like connecting with a very limited local Mm. reality, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. the limitedness of my own body, my own skills, my own achievements, which as a three is like, that's That's some deep work right there for me. Um, and then finding it rooted literally in this place, in this soil, in this dirt, Mm -hmm. in these trees. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking then about my years as an expat. And so then I guess the question for you, because you are living as an expat, what is, what does place look like for you? What is, Mm. what does it mean to be grounded in your city for you? And maybe you don't have an answer. That's totally fine. I'm just curious to like open up this conversation beyond me and my little farm. Like, what does it look like for you? It's a really good and hard question that draws up a lot of longing for me. Mm. Um, I think, and I think it plays into life as a parent Mm. wanting to create these roots for my daughter there's intentional small things that I feel like I'm choosing to do with like for my daughter like Hmm. I'm making these tangible books I was gonna well podcast listeners cannot see but I'm gonna show you like these little books of pictures of her in her in this place because even Hmm. though you know I said to you earlier that we are not you know, we have no plans of leaving. We have no flights right. home. We have no schedule. We don't know. We don't know. Right. And yeah. knowing that it's very real that, you know, she could 
you know, obviously we could be living in a new apartment. We could be living in a new country. And I want her to, yeah. to have that sense of knownness and rootedness mm. and connection to this, this place that even though she might not remember it or remember all of the details, I, I feel like sometimes I'm almost hyper vigilant about trying to remember them for her. Hmm. And I know that that's coming out of this place of longing for me of like, I want you hmm. to feel connected. I want you to feel grounded. Um, I prayed all while I was pregnant. Um, she was born in August. And so I was very pregnant in the hot months and I would sit by the sea or be in the sea. And I would just pray, Lord, let the sea feel like home to her mm. in my head, knowing that there are many seas <laughs> there's, you know, there's the Mediterranean. Yeah. I grew up a few blocks right. from long Island sound. And so knowing mm. that that could be true in multiple places yeah. felt like this, yeah, this like, I'm throwing out this lifeline that she will feel connected mm -hmm. to the earth in many different places. Yeah. 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 No, it's beautiful. And even as you're showing me that, that picture book of hers talking about being rooted in place, it makes me realize that, you know, almost exclusively all of my childhood memories are from pictures. And that's wow. Just, I yeah. don't have a good memory. And yet so few of the pictures, what I've, I've caught myself in mm -hmm. the last couple of years, not looking at the subject of the picture, but looking at the background, mm. oh, wow. trying to notice the furniture, the clothing, the pictures yes. on the wall, the colors, the appliances, the structural things, right? Especially as we've done our house here and other things, like I'm just more aware of those things, but also yeah. like what you were naming in yourself resonated with me in that like. I am looking for a connection to that picture beyond like, oh, look, you're opening a present on your fifth birthday, yes. right? I'm looking for what was that place like to live there as a five-year-old kid? Because yes. I, I don't actually remember it, but I know it was my life. Yes. And so like even hearing you say that, I don't, you know, and maybe this isn't what you're doing, but the yeah. image that went through my head was that like there were pictures that your daughter's not even in yeah. that are just yeah. like of the street or yes. the market or the building or the your favorite beat up sign or, you know, yes. a car broken down the side, whatever it is, like context, place. I just feel like that's yes. beautiful. And yeah. I love that you're doing that for her because I, I do think that will serve her for a very long time. Thank you. And that's our show. If this conversation was meaningful to you, like it was to us, Leave a rating and review so that more people just like us can discover this podcast and join the conversation themselves. Thank you for listening. This has been such a fun conversation and we'd love for you to join the conversation too. But hey, you've heard enough of our voices. For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at ofdustanddivinity.com. Partner with us on Patreon and get access to exclusive content, merch, and hidden perks. Go to patreon.com slash of dust and divinity. Join our Facebook group of dust and divinity podcast community and engage with us on Instagram at of dust underscore and divinity. As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. 
Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them, and the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Now. 